Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Most of you know that I talk about music a fair amount on this show. Uh, for today's episode, my guests, they do that for a living. I'm Nate Sloan. I'm a professor of musicology at USC and co-host of Switched on Pop with my friend... Charlie Harding. That was nice. Great segue. <laughs> Nailed it. We are podcast hosts. We've been doing this yeah. for about five years now. I'm, uh-huh. a, I'm a songwriter and I produce music uh, and I run the show. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I run the show. <laughs> yeah. He does uh, all the dirty work. Switched on Pop is a podcast about pop music from Vox Media. Charlie and Nate have hosted this show for years. I listen religiously. And now the two of them are out with a new book all about pop music. It is called Switched on Pop, How Popular Music Works and Why It Matters. In this book, Nate and Charlie break down 16 pop songs of our current era. We wanted to make sure that these were songs that we felt would be timeless, mm-hmm. that covered artists that were important, had made timeless cultural impact. <laughs> You're calling Drake's God's plan timeless. <laughs> Let's check back in 20 years. All right, there's only one Drake song in the book. There are a lot of others, songs from Beyonce and Sia and Kelly Clarkson and Frank Ocean. Top 40 hits from the last 20 years or so that will be on the radio for a long time to come. On today's episode of the show, Charlie and Nate help us take pop seriously. With their help, we will deconstruct three songs I know you love. M.I.A.'s Paper Planes, Drake's God's Plan, Yeah, I know. And a third one by an artist you may have heard of before, Rihanna. For both non-musicians, it's exciting to learn about how things like rhythm, melody, and harmony work. But for musicians, you might start to hear, wow, I've never realized that that composition is dependent upon the linking between the music and the lyric. I like this chat because it makes us think deeper about a topic we rarely do. After the break, we deconstruct the song I probably sweated to the most in the late 2000s, M.I.A.'s Paper Planes. In a minute. This message comes from NPR sponsor Chobani Oat, made to taste just like milk. It's creamy, frothy, and great with coffee and cookies, but without the dairy, because it's not milk. It's almost milk. New Chobani Oat. Want to play in the very same place as Chance the Rapper, Taylor Swift, Yo-Yo Ma, or Mitski? If you're an unsigned musician, you could play at NPR Music's famous Tiny Desk. Just submit a video to the Tiny Desk Contest, find out more, and see the official rules at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. I want to break down some of the chapters in the book uh, by going through two songs from your book. Every chapter is a song. And you talk about these songs in a way that gives you a pretty expansive view of where pop is right now mm-hmm. and where it's been for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I found the most interesting and chock full of information for me was the way y'all unpacked MIA's classic paper planes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has everything. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm someone who loved this song just like everybody else. And it starts out, we hear this sample from The Clash, mm-hmm. but record scratch, stop. <laughs> you know, it, it's more than just a straight sample even. Yeah, so that opening clip that you hear is from The Clash's song called Straight to Hell. Yes. Which, you know, frankly is a B-side cut. So you got to be like pretty deep in your music yeah. nerdery to recognize that. We should play a little bit. Pull up The Clash Straight to Hell. 
So it sounds the same, but it sounds different, right? Yeah, totally. They did some stuff with it. Well, and then this song goes in an entirely different direction. <laughs> it becomes this sort of like Caribbean beat. It's yeah, a totally different song after yeah. this. Yeah. But yeah, so they actually Diplo. This was actually a track that Diplo made. He was at the time dating MIA. They produced this song together. And well, that's he, cute. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he talks about they actually um, re-recorded that song. It's not actually a true sample in that way. It's uh, an interpolation. I guess, yeah. So they term. pulled out their own instruments to recreate those sounds. Yeah. And they did it almost exactly. But the way that the song is panned in your headphones it's is differently. It's fatter. Yeah. yeah. They needed more bass. Is really uh-huh. what it was going for. So the bass yeah. is a little thicker. But I think what's amazing about this sample is that it's not just borrowing the timbres of the clash Mm -hmm. it is reimagining the world that that song that straight to hell put together yeah so if you look at straight to hell it is joe strummer putting together this caricature of a bigoted british man deriding the incoming immigrants from Eastern Europe. The Clash being a uh, the British band. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's saying, hey, all of you immigrants coming into the struggling 1980s economy uh, of, of the UK, all you immigrants, you, you all got to go straight to hell. Now he's And the chorus says, there ain't no need for you, there ain't no need for you. Go straight to hell, boys. Go straight to hell, boys. Go straight to hell, boys. And this is clearly a parody. Uh, so he's he is mocking... Those yes. rude Brits who would not let these folks. He sit. was actually born abroad. Uh-huh. He was born in Turkey. Okay. Uh, to I believe his uh, his parents were diplomats. Okay. So then, if we take paper planes and think, well, what's going on here? Even just the chorus, which I never thought about until yeah. I read your chapter, but the chorus is. All I want to do is bang, 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 <laughs> and kaching, take your money. That's right. Yeah. Who's she talking about? She is talking about the fever dream imagined criminal immigrant story of America in which there's so much demonizing of immigration uh, that so often evokes pathology and crime as a a vector with race and immigration. And she is the inverted narrator Mm -hmm. of Straight to Hell. Rather than playing the bigot, she's playing the imagined immigrant. It's like writing a sequel to a Shakespeare play or something. What's great about M.I.A. is that Uh it's not her only reference. In fact, that chorus is, in a way, another interpolation of a song by Reckon Effect's Rump Shaker. Hmm. Pull it up. So she is cribbing from this early 90s rap song, yeah, right. which was full of, you know, girls in bikinis. So their All I Want to Do is about wanting to just kind of hook up with a pretty lady. Yeah, and it's quite obviously misogynist. And yes. so I think her taking that reference yeah. and putting it in this... Meta-commentary on immigration. And also the, this moment of almost like play-acting violence. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like kind of like reclaiming the usage of that line and making it this sort of empowering moment. Oh, totally. In interviews, MIA would say that this song is intentionally open to interpretation. I think it invites us to dig into, well, what is this meaning? And it it really, but it doesn't require that much digging. No, because if you just Google, what does paper planes really mean? (laughs) It means counterfeit visas. So when she says, I got visas in my name, she's like, I'll cook you up a visa, son. Come on. 
she makes this commentary in the song about how uh, everyone's saying that we should go straight to hell, mm. um, and that oh, we're wow. actually we're, we're yeah. already we're already in hell because <laughs> we're packing UPS trucks and pumping gas, which oh. I think is then sort of saying like, well, the reality of so many immigrants coming to America is they end up doing very difficult working class labor uh. and are often uh, exploited, not fairly compensated, and so on. And so there's like that hint of both the sample and the reality of what she's speaking about are in the lyrics if you're willing to take a moment with the song. More songs after the break when we come back, Nate and Charlie convince me that Drake's God's plan has a purpose. Listeners, don't at me. BRB. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. What's good, y'all? As you know, February is Black History Month, and all throughout that month, NPR's Code Switch is going to be running a special series about the history of Black resistance. Because as long as Black folks have been oppressed in this country, which is, you know, forever, we've also been fighting back. Listen and subscribe. Next, we got to talk about a very, very catchy song by a guy I might not like that much. Mm -hmm. His name is Drake. Rhymes with fake. The song is called God's Plan. Shots fired. Let's just post it at the top, Anjali, while we describe what y'all were into unpacking uh, in this song. Y'all write about it, and Drake's flow in this song particularly is kind of like nursery rhyme rap. Yep. And whether calling Drake's uh, lyrics nursery rhymes is a good or bad thing, I, I won't be the judge of it. But uh, I think what we agree is that it's a very effective way to create a catchy song. Uh, we cite the scientist and author Oliver Sacks, who describes how when words and melody merge together in a simple, repeatable, melodic fragment, that's something that gets lodged in our brains. And Drake is really expert at exploiting this. He repeats himself he a repeats lot. Himself a lot. There's a sort of immediacy and directness to this, and it's also something that comes through in the kind of rhymes that Drake uses. She said, "Do you love me?" I tell her only partly. I only love my bed and my mom. I'm sorry. Drake uses a lot of what are called identity rhymes, which is you mean he talks about himself a lot. Which is kind of a fancy way of saying uh, rhyming a word with itself, basically. Okay. Like the chorus of this song, God's plan, God's plan. He says it over and over again. Or the post-chorus, bad things, it's a lot of bad things that they wishing and wishing and wishing. They wishing on me. Bad things, a lot of bad things. There's a lot of, a rep- lot of repetition. A lot of repetition. Um, and he, if he's not using identity rhymes, he's likely using something called near rhymes or slant rhymes. That is, rhymes that aren't perfect matches, but have a, a, a really strong similarity. So um, he gets to repeat himself and not rhyme. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, certain uh, you know lyricists like the musical theater composer Stephen Sondheim, mm-hmm. he would not approve. Uh, uh-huh. You know, maybe Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh-huh. I don't know if he would approve. Uh-huh. But I think if you're making a pop song and you want to really just 
connect with people in, in a really immediate way. There's a kind of lack of artifice in some of his lyrics, I think, that draws people in. It's very plain spoken. Uh, it's not always very, you know, ornate or And there's uh, just fewer expert. words. And so, okay, this, this is what I find so interesting about Drake and his presentation of self and this song. Like, he does this kind of bait and switch. Mm. Like, the performance of God's plan to the public is simple enough for, like, a five-year-old to get and latch on to. But everything after that first listen, you realize it is extremely shrewd and working on multiple levels. Yeah. In in, in many ways, the way that, like, the M.I.A. song does. Yeah. Is this just a reality for all pop music and we just never notice it? (laughs) Yeah, probably. I mean, (laughs) and yet I think... I'm going to give Drake a little credit here. Good, someone should. Uh, One thing I do think he and MIA have in common, and I think a thing that great pop songs in general have in common, is that the music matches the message of the song. And God's Plan, for better or worse, is a song about sort of giving in to a higher power. And so maybe there's something in the almost mantra-like repetition of certain key phrases again and again. It's a chant. That represents a certain kind of, I don't know, yeah, chant, spirituality or something that matches the underlying message of the song. That's the nicest thing I'll say about Drake uh, today. <laughs> it could be nice, but yeah. it's fine. <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, and it's effective, right? It, yeah. It's, if, if this song is about sort of giving in to a higher power, then his, his chanting kind of puts you in that mindset. I'm into it. Anyways, I would have y'all also break down the Britney Spears chapter and the Outcast chapter. I'm not going to have you do that when I have enough time, mm. but I want you to pick a song from your book yeah. that you think really speaks to where pop is right now and, you, and break it down. What if we build a bridge uh, using Rihanna to one of our favorite chapters, mm. which is about form in pop music? Okay. And this is also a fun chapter because I think form is one of the sort of most boring <laughs> aspects of popular <laughs> music in a lot of ways. It's how a song is structured. Yes. You know, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, etc. Yes. And the usual structure has been for a long time. Yeah. What? It has been, uh, it's, it has even has a boring name. <laughs> it's <laughs> called verse chorus form. Okay. And since the 1960s, I would say 99% of songs on the radio use it. You start with a verse and then a pre-chorus, which builds into a chorus. Mm-hmm. And then you do that again, verse, pre-chorus, chorus. Then mm-hmm. you usually will have like a bridge that provides a little contrast. Yes. And then you'll hit the chorus once, twice, thrice. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a you rough formula yeah. for a pop song. And that's held strong for like half a century. But if you listen to a track like We Found Love by Calvin Harris and Rihanna, they're doing something different. They're interrupting and changing that verse chorus form let's hit it is this the verse this This is is the the verse verse, yeah no drum beat yet though and then the pre-chorus we gotta build up yeah we describe it as almost like a roller coaster okay you're you're climbing climbing the roller coaster we're building up towards something yeah and that something is the chorus it's the central hook of the song Here's the chorus, but not a full drum yet. No, it's a, a little surprising. Drum. It's not the kind of... I was waiting for that bass. Yeah, it's not that climactic moment you expect. And we might not make sense of it until we hear what comes next. Okay. Because in this song, the chorus isn't the high point. We're going even higher. If this is a roller coaster, we're just <laughs> Another like... Another hill. <laughs> we're in like the clouds. And then just when it reaches a breaking point... It drops. Oh, yeah. So the second chorus is the drop. Exactly. Uh. That is 
very unusual. I mean, now it's very common, but back in 2011 when the song came out, that was very unusual. That was a technique kind of imported from the world of electronic dance music and infused into the formal logic of a pop song. When you first heard this, what what did you think? Uh, I don't know that I was thinking. I, yeah, I don't think thinking I was is at just all. Gy- gyrating <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, but you know, under the uh, in the clear light of day, um, I I think I appreciate how this has become a whole new vocabulary for pop music. Um, even one of the biggest songs of of last year, Billie Eilish's "Bad Guy," mm-hmm. doesn't have a true chorus. It has one of these kind of instrumental oh, yeah. uh, faux choruses that goes do do. It's very cartoony. Totally. And I think we can trace that back to Rihanna and Calvin Harris and this sort of melding of the language of EDM, electronic dance music, with the language of pop. Does that hurt you? No, no it's exciting. I, I love a good chorus. Yeah, but there's like new ways of expressing oneself, hmm. okay. right? Like the the idea that you have to have this narrative build to the apex uh, becomes uh, predictable, and huh. maybe there's another way of sharing whatever emotion it is that I have. Yeah, maybe it's just like I'm gonna jump right in on it. Okay, this is exactly <laughs> how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm not gonna give it to you to the very end of the song. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. it's a slow build. This isn't to say that the chorus is dead okay. entirely, okay. but that people are playing with it, hmm. and I, I think that that's exciting. Mm. I love it. What are y'all most excited about in terms of the next few years of pop? What's on the horizon that you're like, yes, that? I think. The globalization of U.S. pop music has been one of the, for me, like one of the most exciting and unexpected aspects of the pop scene in the last few years. The the rise of K-pop, the rise of, of Latin pop as like different from the Latin pop boom of the 90s mm-hmm. because it's Well, that maybe, was so saccharine in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. This mm-hmm. is a little more raw, a little more direct. Um, yeah. You know, you can hear songs like on the radio that are trilingual that are Korean, Spanish, huh. and English. That's, what song is that? There's a few of them, wow. actually. There's a song, Chicken Soup, uh, <laughs> with, that, wow. with, with a Korean group and Becky G. And I, I, that just, I think, would have been unimaginable five years ago. Yeah. And now is just like, you know, status quo. So what's next? What future sort of international mashups are, are on the horizon? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. Yeah, yeah. The book and the podcast are both called Switched on Pop. Check both out. Thank you both so much. This has been so much fun, Sam. Delightful. Thank you, Sam. Delightful. Thank y'all. All right, thanks again to Charlie Harding and Nate Sloan of Switched on Pop. Their new book is out right now, all about pop music. It's also called Switched on Pop. Also, Carly Rae Jepsen, if you are listening, Nate and Charlie want you on their podcast. Seriously, they brought you up a few times. All right, that's it. This episode was produced by Anjali Sastry and edited by Kitty Isley. Catch us on Friday for our regularly scheduled weekly wrap. Till then, keep dancing. All right, bye. Talk soon. I want to end with some earworms, the two earworms that are stuck in y'all's heads right now. Go. Billie Eilish is everything I wanted. Mm. Very good song. Yeah. Post Malone's Circles. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go. You you asked a question, I gave you an I honest sure answer. Did. I cannot get that melody out of my head. We're going like... to go out on that. Play the <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Who did 
Seasons change and our love went cold. Feed the flame because we can't let go. Oh, so profound. Why do, you, why do you like this song? Post Malone finds these melodic fragments and he'll just hit you with them again and again and again. And by the end of the song, whether you like it or not, you are going to remember every melody because he's Because he's going to run you in them. circles. Yeah. That, <laughs> so there we go. And that's the message of the song. It's We're running in circles just like these melodies are running in circles. Oh, my goodness. It's effective. You're going to be humming this tomorrow morning, I think.